Chapter 23 The Marines streamed aboard the British warship, and Finn and her companions charged back into the fight. Jack laughed loud and threw himself at the British. His laughter spoke what was in all their hearts, hope, amazement, joy. Ned Smithers and Fred Martin. The last time any had seen them was in Tun Tavern, Philadelphia, when Jack had tried to knock them flat for jumping ship. A fortunate twist of fate is never ill-spent upon an old sailor, and so Jack Wagon bellowed a laugh to quake the timbers of the earth. Over the screams and sounds of war rose the resounding peal of his laughter, like a call to battle and a cry of victory. A solid reinforcement of marines boarding the ship struck fear into the English, but they had no avenue of retreat. As the O'Malley brothers gleefully fought their way across the deck, their ferocity turned English faces white with terror. When they reached the forecastle, the last Englishman, trapped between the Irish and the rail, threw himself into the sea to escape. Tan led a group down the hatch into the belly of the ship and flushed out what men remained below. They emerged, fleeing Tan and his men, to find Ned Smithers and a group of Marines waiting with muskets. Soon the clatter of surrendered arms falling to the deck rattled around the ship as British soldiers and sailors flung them away and begged for mercy. Of the few British who still breathed, some quivered and prostrated themselves before the company, and many more flung themselves into the sea rather than beg succor. Across the waves, a mile distant, the Marine's sister ship harried the remaining British vessel with cannon fire as it fled east. A riotous cheer arose from Finn and all those around her. A smile that she could wear without shame spread across her face. Lucky for you lot we happened along, said Ned Smithers with a raised eyebrow and a grin. Jack bellowed another laugh that split the air like a cannonade. Well, you're lucky I let you live in Philly, said Jack. The crew gathered around and laughed. And just what in the bloody hell are you boys doing out here, Ned? Well, it's no accident. We're bound north with dire news of the war. English are moving out of Savannah, sweeping north, burning and pillaging as they go. Word is they aim to take Georgia and the rest of the south while Washington is busy up north. We make for Philadelphia, for reinforcements. Bloody hell. Well, how far are we from Savannah, then? asked Jack. We just run north of the river when we saw your sail. Savannah's right round the hill there, Ned pointed southwest. Now you want to tell us what you're doing here? You seen the snake? asked Jack. No, but I heard from others it passed up the Savannah River sometime yesterday. We aim to take her. Ned eyed him warily, as if he wasn't sure how much he wanted to know. Jack stared back, quiet a moment, before deciding to elaborate. We set Creech adrift. I reckon you heard about that. Aye, we heard. Can't say I believe everything I hear, though. Believe it. Had it coming, he did. Well, it's no news to me. He's the reason me and Fred run off. Aye, now the bastard's got us on the run. Turn us in as pirates and ain't but one way to put an end to it. Well, you best keep your head down, Jack. You and your crew are wanted men and not just by the British. Your name's up for bounty in every port from here to Boston. What do you aim to do? Think we can sail this tub up river without raising too many questions? Well, you don't want to put in at Savannah, that's for sure. You lot, walking off a ship of the line, would draw more attention than you want to muster, and the British have the mouth of the river blockaded. They'll board and search any vessel headed up river. Or any vessel but one of their own, said Tan with a devilish grin. Ned and Jack considered it in silence. Ha! Huh. It might work, might get you dead all the same, said Ned. Well, if we get through, you got any idea what's waiting up river? asked Jack. So far, the British ain't bothered much with Georgia. Been satisfied to 
sit in Savannah and control the river. But they aim to change that. They're headed toward some place called Ebenezer, and like as not, the British will be there within the day. Augusta within the month. Ebenezer, said Finn. Aye, some little town upriver. That's where Creech is going. Seems it is, said Jack. But why is old Tiberius going to Ebenezer? asked Ned. Long story, but Finn's right. Finn? Ned stared at her with a confused look. The last time he saw her, he'd thought she was a boy. Ned didn't even recognize her. The Finn button that's got the British trade running like scared goats? Finn blushed. Aye, that's the one. Not that she done a fat lot of scaring without the rest of us, muttered Jack. Fred's eyes bulged, and Ned's mouth dropped open. Don't believe everything you hear, added Finn. Well, bloody hell, cursed Ned, and both of them broke into belly laughs. Finn rolled her eyes at Tan, who smiled and laughed. All right, you two, off to your ship. We're making for Savannah, and then upriver. You best keep that Union Jack waving if you aim to slip past the blockade. What's the name of this tub, anyway? Jack wondered. The Monarch, said Fred. Jack chuckled and spit on the deck. Ha <laughs> ha, always wanted to spit on a king. Tan shook his head and groaned at Jack's humor. All right, then, off with you. Let's go. Jack wasted no time. He swung around and spat his orders to the crew. Of the fifty or more that had climbed aboard from the Justice, less than thirty remained. Ned and the other Marines bound what British still lived and hustled them across the rail onto Ned's ship, the Constellation, where they disappeared below decks, prisoners of war. Finn and the crew commenced to clearing the monarch of bodies. The deck was slick with blood, and it was a gruesome task. Those of the crew that had died, they carried below to await an honorable burial at sea. They threw the British dead overboard. Finn spotted Armand Defane against the rail, rifling through the pockets of a dead British officer. He happily slipped a pocket watch and a ring into his shirt. She wrinkled her nose in disgust, and then noted with satisfaction that all of Defane's dogs seemed to have perished in the fighting. Defane raised his head and caught her looking at him. He grinned at her as he pushed the officer's body over the rail. Finn and Sam Ketcher worked their way aft, cleaning off the deck, and as they picked up the last dead soldier and tossed him over the rail, they heard a curious thump and a grunt before the body splashed into the water. Finn stuck her head out over the rail and looked down. Clinging desperately to a rubbing strip, just above the waterline, was Nut. They'd thrown the body on top of him. Howdy, Finn, he called, as if nothing of any import had taken place. Sam fetched a rope from the deck and threw it down. They hauled him up and checked him over for injury as he sat and shivered. Are you all right? Are you hurt? asked Finn as she inspected him bodily like a mother. I'm all right, Finn. I couldn't find nobody. The ship, I think it hit something and then I fell in the water and couldn't even find nobody there either. Then I couldn't find the ship no more even. I was scared you guys were some of them English fellas. So I was trying to be quiet for I wouldn't get killed like that man that just jumped on top of me. Finn and Sam looked at each other and then shook their heads in amazement. When the deck was clear, Jack ordered every man below to find himself a British uniform. If they were to slip by the blockade, they were going to have to look the part. Let's find you some dry clothes, Nut, said Finn as she pulled him across the deck by the arm. There were plenty of clothes to choose from. A full crew and complement of British Marines had manned the Monarch. She found Nut some breeches and a plain shirt and coat, and then left him to change. A few minutes later, she returned to check on him and found he'd fallen asleep on the floor where she left him. At least he put the clothes on first. 
She left him sleeping and scurried back onto the main deck. While they sailed the short distance to the Savannah River, the crew adorned themselves in red coats and tricorns. Jack slipped a coat over his bulky frame, but as none of the soldiers had been even close to his size, there was no hope of him looking natural in it. The sleeves ran only to his elbows, and it was so tight that his arms refused to hang straight. Instead, they arched out from his body, making him look like a giant red penguin. Damn skinny limeys, Jack muttered. Not a word, Tan. Tan burst into laughter, and Jack's face turned as red as the coat. He reached out to swat Tan, and the seams of the coat split clean apart. Jack ripped off the tattered pieces and threw them to the deck, then kicked them across the rail. Finn found clothes of a much better fit. She felt strange wearing a dead man's clothes, and an Englishman's at that. Like the Union Jack flapping in the wind overhead, it was too big a lie. It made her feel unclean. Tan snapped his heels together and saluted when she walked onto the deck. Jack rolled up his eyes. From the helm, Topper called, Captain on deck! Finn glared at him and everyone around broke into laughter. Topper eased the ship around the southern shoulder of South Carolina and approached the mouth of the Savannah River. A British frigate in execution of the blockade was waiting to greet them. All right, boys, keep your wits. No horsing around, said Jack. Jack, you best get to the cabin, said Tan. Jack's size and lack of proper dress made him suspicious. Jack grumbled under his breath and then ducked through a hatchway to watch the passage through the portal. Steady, Topper. Act like we're supposed to be here, said Tan over his shoulder. The British frigate in the mouth of the river ran up signal flags. What's that mean? asked Finn. Well, they mean us to give way and let their captain aboard, to check papers, ask questions most likely, replied Tan. So what do we do? Jack called Tan into the hatchway. They talked quietly for a moment, and then Tan gave orders for two men to help him look for the ship's signal flags. They found the flags stowed in a locker, and Tan found what he was looking for. He ran up two flags, and then came back to the rail to wait. So what are we telling them? asked Finn. I told him to stay clear, said we're having trouble maneuvering. Will that work? We will find out. The other ship was only a couple hundred yards off the port rail. Tan raised a hand in friendly gesture. On the deck of the other ship, Finn could clearly see their captain peering at them with his spyglass. Easy, boys. Look natural, said Jack from the doorway. Another signal flag ran up the mast of the blockade ship. They're asking if we require assistance, explained Tan. He turned and ordered Sam to signal back that they did not. Sam ran up the flag and they waited. Aboard the other ship, the captain consulted with another officer. The captain handed his spyglass over and the other man peered at them. The two men consulted again while Finn and the crew waited. Sweat rolled down Tan's face. The deck was silent. Every breath was kept long and drawn through gritted teeth. Then, the blockading ship gave way. Her captain waved, and Tan returned the gesture. They were through. Tan wiped the sweat from his face and grinned. Nothing to it.